Well, if you're turning your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 19, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles this morning, you can find this text on page 774, page 774. And if you do not have a Bible this morning, or if you need a new Bible, then take that Pew Bible with you. Let that be our gift to you this morning. Page 774 in God's Word. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. And in this section of of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is, is explaining to his disciples in greater clarity the values of the kingdom of heaven. And he's showing them what it looks like as they're following him as their Lord and Savior. What being a Christian will mean for their relationships, for their relationship to other people, for their relationships with their wealth, for their, their standing and their status in society. He's showing them just how countercultural the kingdom of heaven is. And he's showing us as well this morning. <clears throat> so as we come to this next section of, of Jesus' teaching this morning, we're going to be in verses 13 through 15. And I'll ask, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. You may be seated. Well, this brief narrative is familiar to most of us, especially if you've grown up in and around the church. You may recall paintings that you've seen on the walls of Sunday school classes uh, or in storybook Bibles, you know, depicting Jesus seated, surrounded by a crowd of little children, you know, a child seated on his knee talking with the, the eager young children. And, and this story is, is kind of emblazoned in our minds because of this. But this story, these, these few short verses, have more to them than just sentimentality. They tell us more than, than just the, the attitude of Jesus, the kindness and, and gentleness of Christ. Though we would be Missing a huge part of this to to overlook that. Yes, Jesus is gentle and kind and approachable. Yet there is more to this story. This story confronts us. It challenges us. It subverts the values of this world. And it gives us a compelling illustration of the values of the kingdom of heaven to which we belong if we've put our faith in King Jesus. In other words, this story calls us first to admiration of Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. It also calls us to imitation of Jesus. And there's an implicit challenge to our worldly thinking and a call for us to think God's thoughts after him and view things the way he does. Not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, as Romans 12 says. So I believe the main lesson in this text that this text presents to us is this. 
So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. As followers of Jesus, we must value the small as well as the great. As followers of Jesus, we must value the small as well as the great. This is what Jesus teaches both by his rebuke of his disciples and by his own example. And it is supported by the reason he gives in verse 14. When speaking of the little children, he says, To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So our two main points this morning are this, are these. First, how we are to treat the small. How we are to treat the small. And then secondly, why we are to treat them in this way. Why we are to treat them in this way. So how we are to treat them, which is a description. And then why we are to treat them, which is a reason, a motivation. So I'm going to tell, tell us what we got to do. And then I'm going to tell us why we got to do it. So first of all, let's consider what this passage teaches us about how we are to treat the small. How are we to treat the small? Now you may have noticed that I'm, I'm speaking somewhat more broadly here and using this term, uh, the small, rather than just speaking of the children. You know, why, why didn't I word this first point as how are we to treat the children? Well, because in this text, this text forces us to recognize that Jesus is talking about more than just those who are physically under a certain age. He's speaking more about more than just physical children. Our treatment of little children is an obvious application of the principle Jesus teaches in this story, but it isn't only about those under the age of 12 or under the age of 7. No, this, this text in verse 14 Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, speaking of the children, he says, to such, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now we'll explore this statement further in our second point, but I bring it up now to to show you that Jesus is speaking here of a certain kind of person, a certain class of individuals, those who are like children and not only about the children that were in the room at that very moment. So in essence, Jesus is saying that in in verse 14, that these are the kinds of people to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs. And those to whom such noble and and honorable a kingdom belongs ought to be valued and treated with respect. Now, if Jesus were only talking about those who were physically children, he would have said in verse 14 something more along the lines of, to these belongs the kingdom of heaven. But in saying to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, he's, he's indicating more that he's thinking of a kind of person. R.T. France comments on this and he says, The use of such rather than these indicates that the thought is broader than the literal children who are present in the narrative setting. Those who are to be welcomed and encouraged in Jesus' name also include those who are spiritually in the position of children. The unimportant the dependent, the vulnerable, the unimportant, the dependent, the vulnerable. This is why I speak of the small. How do, how do we treat the small? This is broader than just little children, the small ones of this world. Think about what Brother Chris read for us out of 1 Corinthians 1, how not many mighty or noble 
or wise of this world have, have been called, but, but God has chosen the weak, the foolish things of this world to, to confound the mighty. I love what uh, one wealthy Christian woman said in the past. She, she said she was, she was saved by the letter M because it, it doesn't say not any mighty or, or wise or wealthy of this world are called. It just says not many, not many. And so, but, but by and large, those to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs are the small of this world, the, the foolish, the despised. They're not, they're not, the, the church is not filled with, with PhD professors and, and super wealthy billionaires. It's filled with common people. And, and I love what uh, John MacArthur has also said. He, he said that, that um, the kingdom of heaven is inhabited by those who are, who are children, those who have died before they could reach the age of, of knowing the good from the bad, um, you know, those that die in infancy. It's, it's, it's inhabited by those who are children in that sense, and it's inhabited by those who are like children. Jesus himself has just said in the last chapter that, that unless his disciples humbled themselves, and be, if, unless they repented and became like children, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about being a child that is a, a model of faith. We'll, we'll talk about that more in a moment. But how are we to treat the small? How are we to treat those who are either literally children or those who are unimportant in the world, those who are dependent or, or vulnerable? Well, this, this story, let's, let's kind of put ourselves into the story a little bit and, and understand what's happening. You know, we see that these children are brought to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. We see that in verse 13. We're not told that these children were ill or that they were, you know, brought to be healed. No, this, this laying on of hands and praying was a familiar form of, of blessing the young. And in the parallel account in Mark 10, in verse 16, it says, Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And so here we have parents or, or caregivers bringing these children to this great rabbi, this great teacher that they'd heard of, so that he could bless their children, bless their young. But verse 13, the disciples kind of put themselves between Jesus and these loving parents and these little children, and they rebuke them. They, 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 you could almost see them like standing in the doorway saying, no, 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 like don't bring these children in. Now why would they do that? Why, why, do, you, why do you think the disciples would be rebuking these people for bringing their little ones to Jesus? Well, I think we can get a clue from the way in which Jesus responds. Jesus, in his response, he emphasizes the dignity of these little ones, of, of even the small, that the kingdom belongs to such. So it's he's, he's like he's saying, hey, they matter, they're important. I've got time for them. And so if that's the way Jesus is responding, the disciples must have been, you know, their, their rationale for rebuking these people and saying, you know, don't bring these little kids into Jesus, they're probably thinking, hey, listen, Jesus, he's, he's too busy. He's, he's too important to be 
praying over your babies. He doesn't have time for the children. That's probably what the disciples were thinking. You know, he is, Jesus was the Messiah after all, the long-awaited king. I mean, he's got important work to do. He's bringing in God's kingdom. There's, there's a world to conquer. There's evil to subdue. There's justice to enforce. There's prosperity to promote. He didn't have time to be praying over children, so they thought. But they spoke too soon. The disciples spoke too soon. They thought, once again, they thought they knew Jesus better than they did. And so, you know, let this be a a humbling reminder to all of us. We need to continually be studying God's word. You might think you know Jesus better than you really know him. And so study God's word and, and know the way he thinks. Know what is pleasing to God. That doesn't happen it's not like, a, it's a, like you get saved and all of a sudden God just plugs this hard drive into your mind and you just instantly have all the data you need. The scriptures call us to, to study, to know, and we're to pray for one another. Colossians 1 talks about this, how we're to pray that, that our other Christians, that our brothers and sisters in Christ would increase in knowledge, that they would know more doctrine and how that doctrine is to be lived out in their lives. And this is to the glory of God. So the, the disciples, once again, they speak too soon, and Jesus has to correct them once again. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. You know, the disciples, they, they looked at these children, and they saw, you know, time wasters, hindrances, distractions from the important business of the kingdom, annoyances. Jesus saw concerned parents who loved their kids. Jesus Jesus saw that this was his business, that this is what he needed to be doing at this time, sitting in this room full of children, blessing them. How do you see people? How do you See people. What do you view as the important business of the kingdom? Does it include sitting with little ones, the dependent, the unimportant, air quotes, the, the vulnerable, the weak? You know, all of us by nature, we tend to value people on a scale, viewing some people as more important than others, some as more worthy of our time than others. And how often is our view of people's importance influenced by more worldly values rather than the values of the kingdom of heaven? Those who are important to us are often simply those that we find attractive or entertaining, easy to talk to. Those those perhaps that have status or wealth or popularity those who have much more in common with us or those who we believe will help us climb to that next rung of the ladder. Or perhaps we do care and we do spend time with the weak and the vulnerable and the less fortunate, giving them our time and attention, so long as doing so will improve our public image. So long as, as we can 
you know, post about it on social media afterwards. We might help those in, in crisis so long as, as we can make a, a story about it and, and share it with, with our friends. In our selfishness, we view others as important because of what they can give us, what they can provide for us, what they can add to our lives. We don't so much view them as worth our time and energy for their sakes or for the sake of Christ. This text challenges us. It confronts our attitudes towards other people. As Christians, part of our public witness should be our countercultural treatment of others. The world makes a big deal about those who are great, those who have a big name, those who have the money, the status, the looks, the platform, the charisma. But we must be different. We must be different. We must not be like the disciples. We must see people as Christ sees them. We must value the, the homeless, the orphan, the, the child, the elderly, even if spending time with them isn't necessarily going to improve our public image or, or get us some kind of earthly benefit. We must value them for Christ's sake because we are his ambassadors. Think about this for a moment. What if, what if um, like a pro athlete, like an Olympian, say Michael Phelps, was in town and, and you like won this opportunity to have lunch with Michael Phelps, this gold medalist. Would you turn that down if on that same afternoon you had already agreed to go and, and visit with, with a homeless person or a widow or to teach a children's class? Would you say, I'm sorry, I'd love to have lunch with you. I'd love to have lunch with you, but I, I, I have a previous commitment. I, I'm, I'm spending time with these people over here. How are we to treat the small? We're to treat them as we treat the great. We're not to show partiality. Consider Jesus' example. Who did the king of kings spend time with when he walked this world? He was among the poor, the fishermen, the peasants, the beggars and the outcasts. How often was he among the children? Leon Morris notes that the Gospels make it clear that there were often children around Jesus. He observed their games, Matthew eleven sixteen and 17. He spoke of them in his teaching and clearly was genuinely interested in them. How many children, think about through the course of Jesus' ministry, how many children got a chance to sit down and talk with the king of the universe in human flesh? And how many king's palaces never saw a glimpse of Jesus' face? You know, Jesus, the greatest ruler, the greatest ruler who ever saw Jesus in person, other than perhaps the Magi from the east that came to visit him at his birth, was the vassal king, Herod. And this was when Jesus was sent there by Pilate. And that was about when, when Jesus was about to be crucified. This that means, in other words, Jesus didn't even seek out that opportunity to visit King Herod. He was just sent there while he was on trial. Jesus had no busy schedule filled with appointments with ambassadors and dignitaries and generals and governors. He could have done so. 
He could have been in Rome dining with the emperor one week and visiting the warrior kings of the east the next week. But instead, he sat with the children of the poor, whose names have been forgotten in the annals of history, those whom the world would never know, but who were known by Jesus by name. To Jesus, the children were important, the blind beggars, the poor. Jesus was approachable. You know, you didn't have to have a good excuse to get a meeting with Jesus. You didn't have to, like, do a little name-dropping like, oh, Jesus, I know so-and-so, and, and I, I'm this kind of person, so you know, maybe, maybe I can get, get, a, get an appointment with you. No, Jesus was approachable. He noticed the common person. He was among the people. They all mattered to him. So kids in the room, do you see how Jesus welcomes the children? Do you, do you know that when you pray, when you talk to God, he will listen to your prayers as much as he will listen to a grown-up's prayers. Did you know that, that Jesus wants you to read your Bible and to know him? He wants to have a relationship with you just as All right. So Jesus, Jesus was approachable. Even the children were comfortable around him. And so my challenge to you is, are you an approachable person? Or are others afraid, are they afraid of bothering you? Are they afraid that, you know, if you try to talk, if they try to talk to you, you might get angry because you've got, you've got more important things to do. You've got a busy schedule. You don't have time for them. Romans 12, 16 says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. You know, I remember, I think a, a wonderful example of this, I was at a conference one time, and since my brother-in-law, he was one of the speakers at this conference, and somehow he got us like these VIP passes to like go in the room where all the speakers were, like all the conference speakers, and we even got to like eat, eat at some of their tables, like with all the speakers. So we're walking in this room, and you know, here's, here's all these guys that like, they've written books you know, nationally recognized names. And so I'm just sitting there like, oh man, like what if I get a chance to talk to so-and-so or that guy or this guy? But I, I, what I remember about, about this was um, one of the speakers, a, guy, a brother named Paul Washer, um, he was in line, he was in the food line, and he was up, up ahead of me a little ways, and he was talking to this, this young guy and I'd talked to this guy earlier. I recognized this, this, this young guy. He, he really wanted to meet Brother Paul and, and talk to him about how God had used some of his sermons that were on the internet to impact his life. And so he, I was like, great, here, this, this kid is finally getting a chance to talk to Paul Washer. That's awesome, you know. And, and so as they're in line, they, they, at first the line is kind of outside of the room door. But as they continue talking and as they continue conversing, Soon they're right inside the room, and there's the, the buffet line, and all of a sudden it dawns on this kid. He's like, oh my, I'm, like, I, I shouldn't be in here. This is like the speaker's room. You know, I don't have any kind of pass to be in here. And in that moment, Brother Paul, he noticed that, and without thinking, he just grabbed a plate, and he hands it to the, to the young guy, and he says, hey, listen, you, you, you don't have to leave. Have lunch with me. Have lunch with me. 
And then the, the kid was just spellbound. He couldn't believe it. And so then he, uh, you know, he, he gets like the tiniest little bit of food. And Brother Paul's like, no, no, you need more food than that. Come on, get some more. And so then he, he goes and he sits down at this, at this table, just he and this other guy. And they spend their whole lunch together visiting. And I was just thinking, man, like, here Brother Paul is, and there's all these other famous preachers in the room. And he's, he, he probably missed his opportunity to, to have a good chat with them because he was talking to this guy. But then it, then it hit me. I was like, that's, that's exactly what Jesus would have done, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus didn't, he didn't get all like, you know, the, he didn't give in to the, um, he didn't show partiality. And, and so for us, we have to be careful about, um, about the celebrity culture and about putting too much onto to people's names and titles and status. Every person needs to matter to us. We need to give them value as, as Christ would teach us. So recognize, you know, something that, something that I've, as I was thinking about this, something that I am guilty of at times. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're in, you say you're in a big group of people or there's, there's a big gathering and you're, this person's talking to you, but all of a sudden your mind starts to wander and you start looking over there and they're standing right in front of you, but you're kind of looking over there. There's, there's somebody else that you want to talk to. What are you saying to that person in that moment? You're saying, if they catch on, listen, there's somebody more important that I need to be talking to right now. You're, they're there, but you're not really giving them their, your attention. How often do we do this with our kids? You know, subconsciously, we might have our, our phone out, and our kids are trying to get our attention. I've done this, and so I'm, it's confession time. They're trying to get your attention, and I'm like, what, 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 what? You know, finally they, they, get, they get a hold of me perhaps, but, but I'm so distracted. Do we value people by showing them that, listen, I'm here with you right now, and you're the most important person in the room. Like, while I'm talking to you, I'm giving you my full attention because you matter. I'm, I'm giving you the same kind of attention. I'm hanging on your every word just like I would hang on the every word of, say, like Tom Brady, you know, if he was in the room talking to me, some big-name celebrity, successful pro athlete, I'm going to hang on your every word. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to value your company just like I would value somebody great like that. That's the kind of mindset that Christ would want us to have. We're to treat the small as we would the great. Well, parents... I think uh, we can take a cue from these who brought their children to Jesus in this story. I want to encourage you, bring your children to Jesus. Bring them to him in prayer. Do not neglect praying for your kids and bringing them up uh, in, the, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, as Ephesians 6 says. Ephesians 6, that, that command is specifically given to fathers. So, so men, don't just pass this off to your wives. This is your responsibility. And your wives are to help you in it. You can't pass it off to the church. First and foremost, it's the father's responsibilities for their own children. The church can assist, but fathers take responsibility, take ownership in this way, as the scriptures would call you. 
but also bring them to the church. Bring them to the, the worship gatherings. Have them, have them hearing the, the preaching. Have them hearing the singing. Have them uh, listening to, you know, as there's any opportunity, like, like the VBS. Give them opportunities. If they don't come to Christ, let it not be because of your neglect. Give them every opportunity to understand and know the gospel. And if they reject that, let it not be because of your lack of, of prayer and your, your, your neglect of, of bringing them. You know, you can't make your children believe. You can't make them believe. They're going to have to come to a point where they're going to either, either take what you've taught them or reject it. And you can't make them believe, but we can do our best to remove obstacles. And I just want to encourage the parents here at Emmanuel. I'm, I'm very encouraged to see the job that you guys are doing. Could we do better? I'm sure we could. But y'all are doing far more than most parents do. So I want to encourage you, keep on, press on, continue on. Your efforts are not in vain in the Lord. Well, before we move on to point two, Something that may be on some of your minds with this, with this passage is, does this passage give us any insight into whether children who die young, whether they go to heaven or not? You know, this is a, a question that really troubles a lot of people, and I can't go into it much here. We don't have a whole lot of time. But I do want to point out Jesus's, Jesus's posture and his attitude towards the children. It's very welcoming, isn't it? I don't think this, this is not maybe the, the proof text to show that children who die before they understand to distinguish, uh, to know the good from the evil, to quote Isaiah, to, who know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. This, this isn't maybe the proof text to, to prove that they go to heaven, but I do think it, it supports that idea. I do think it, it gives us hope that, that God is a benevolent and a gracious God who loves even little children and is, is merciful to them. And so this would be one of the texts, but it wouldn't be the only text. I, would, uh, I, would, um, I believe that, yes, we do have evidence from Scripture that those who die in infancy or before they're old enough to, to reach a state of accountability do go to heaven. We can talk more about that afterwards, but I, would, I do want to give you that encouragement. And I, I don't want to preach this text without at least mentioning that. This, this text, I think, gives us comfort about God's, God's posture towards the little children. It's, and, and let me just say with that, it's not that they are somehow holy, that they're a blank slate, that they've escaped moral guilt or original sin. That's not why they're saved. They're not saved because of their righteousness. They're saved because of Christ's righteousness. That's the only reason anyone is saved. But I believe that God is merciful and gracious, and those who die in, in infancy, God sovereignly applies the, the blood and the righteousness of Christ to them for their salvation. But on the flip side of this, um, we shouldn't take as an implication of that that we ought to then go ahead and admit the the ordinances to the children. You know, give them, go, why not go ahead and give them baptism in the Lord's Supper? As, you know, I, some of my good Pado-Baptist brethren would disagree with me here, and I respect them, um, but I don't think this passage is really saying one way or another on that. This, this, 
Some, some have tried to use this text to say that, that Jesus, you know, see how he's welcoming the children. And it, sa- it says he's blessing them, but it doesn't say he's baptizing them. He's not baptizing them here. He's, he's blessing them. It's one thing to consider what God and his mercy does to those who die in infancy after their deaths. But how we ought to treat the children and whether or not we admit them to the signs of the covenant is another thing. That's a whole different discussion. You know, our call, what the Bible does call us to do, is to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as they come, come of age to understand, we're not to just assume that they're saved until they give us uh, just undeniable evidence to believe otherwise. But we're to teach them, we're to instruct them, Ephesians 6 says, in the Lord. In other words, we're, we're to impart the knowledge that they need as they, as they get older, as they reach that place of accountability, to, so that they can put their faith in Christ. We're to instruct them. We're not to give them false comfort by admitting them to the visible ordinances of a salvation that they do not yet believe in. We're, we're instructed in, in the Scripture to bring them to Christ through explanation of their need and of His salvation and His sufficiency to save. You know, in the Great Commission, we're instructed to go and make disciples, baptizing them. Baptizing who? Baptizing the disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And those who partake of the Lord's Supper are called to examine themselves, which I would argue is not something that an infant can do. So this passage, it gives us comfort as to God's attitude towards little children and his mercy towards those who die young. This passage challenges us by by example to bring our little ones to the Lord. It, It would be going too far, though, to say that it gives permission to give the signs and seals uh, the ordinances of salvation to, uh, to them until they give just undeniable proof that they aren't saved. This passage doesn't, doesn't teach us to baptize infants or to give them the Lord's Supper. That would, be, that would be to try to make the text say more than it actually does, not to mention going against the clear teaching of, of other passages of Scripture. We're to love the little children. We're to pray over them. We're to bring them up in the teaching of Christ and his salvation from a young age. The rich things of God are there for the young as well as for the old. For the small as well as for the great. And so we're to treat the small as we would the great, giving up every worldly partiality, following the example of Jesus. But this brings us to our second point. I've Here we've laid out, here's what we're supposed to do, but I don't want to send you away with just that. I want to also motivate you and encourage you as to why Jesus Jesus sees fit to give us a reason here in verse 14. So this is our second point. Why are we to treat them in this way? Why are we to treat the small as we would the great? And the reason is, as Jesus says in verse 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean? 
Well, the kingdom of heaven, that's synonymous with salvation. I don't have time to go into all of that right now, but just, just think of that as this is synonymous with being in God's favor, being in, under his redemptive reign, to be a citizen of the, of the heavenly Jerusalem, to have a place in the new heavens and the new earth, to be outside of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible paints that as to be in the kingdom of darkness and, and to be condemned for hell. Colossians 1.14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, those who are saved, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And, and how one enters the kingdom is by being born again. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus had told His disciples earlier, He said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what this shows us is that we can't enter the kingdom of God as we are. A change has to take place. But follow me closely here. This change is not something that you can accomplish. We're going to think about this uh, in this next section of Matthew. But right after this story, a man comes to Jesus and what does he say? What must I do to inherit eternal life. He's thinking that he has the ability that he can do something. And the Bible warns us that we are helpless, we are lost. We all that we have done is earn a whole lot of wrath from God, a whole lot of judgment and condemnation. We need mercy. The only way that we can enter the kingdom is by a miracle that we can never earn become worthy of or repay a free gift from God. And that's why Jesus uses this, the, the illustration of a child saying, of such is the kingdom of heaven. That's why he's told his disciples, you have to become like children to enter. Think about, you know, if you try to give an adult a gift, more often than not, they're going to be concerned about the moral gap that's been created. They're going to be thinking, well, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll get you back. Every, you know, I'll buy people lunch sometimes, and, and I do it myself. But what do they say? Hey, I'll, I'll get you next time. We, we don't like living indebted to others. But you hold, out, you hold out a piece of candy to a child. They're not thinking about, oh, I wonder how much this costs. I wonder, you know, how can I, how can I repay this person? They, what do they do? They see the gift. They trust the generosity of the giver. And they run up and take it with a smile on their faces. They're, they're, they're trusting. They're dependent. And as this is what kind of people enter the kingdom. It's when, when we've been humbled by the grace of God, when God has, has rid us of our self-sufficiency, our self-confidence, and we come not offering our good deeds to God, but we come with, with nothing, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe that you are good and gracious and that you're offering me this salvation as a free gift because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his perfect righteousness, his perfect life, because of his resurrection. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know what the gospel is. Maybe you've heard that word. Let me tell you the gospel this morning. The gospel is not something that we do. 
The gospel is what God did. Gospel means good news. It's the good news that God has, in, in spite of all of our sin, in spite of all of our unworthiness, God has sent a Savior to seek and to save the lost. God the Son, the creator of all things, our King, our creator, he took on human flesh, being sent by God the Father. And he, he lived the perfect life that you have failed to live. And then he died on the cross, the death that you and I deserved to die, as a substitute and as a sacrifice for our sin. He paid it all. That's what we sing in our songs. Jesus paid it all. He offers us the kingdom as a gift. Little children, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. Wages are what you earn, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Will you this morning lay down all self-confidence, all self-righteousness, give up every excuse, and come humbly to the Lord just as you are, asking him for mercy, trusting in the finished work of Christ. If you believe, you are saved. If you do not believe, you are condemned already. Do you have peace with God this morning? If you don't, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to, to help you understand that, that better. But before we close, let me, let me just say, this matters. This, this matters for why, why we are to treat the small as well as the great. Jesus says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. It's, it belongs to those who are like children, not to those who, have, who are like superstar athletes who have trained their way to the top, not like those who are hardworking CEOs who have worked hard by the, by the sweat of their brow and by late nights away from their families to, to get to the top. No, it belongs to those who are like children who simply come and receive the gift. They, to them, to that kind of person, belongs the kingdom, regardless of who they are. In fact, if you have accomplishments, that's, a, that's almost like a detriment to entering the kingdom. You have to leave all, you have more to leave behind. You have more to, to, to pry your trust away from so that you are trusting only in the accomplishments of Christ. If this is the way, if this is the kind of person to whom belongs the very kingdom of heaven, then why would we, as kingdom citizens, make a big deal about wealth or status or age or other things? That's, that's Jesus' point here. That's what he's getting at. This kingdom is given by God's grace, not because of who we are, not because of some merit or worthiness in us, but because of the free generosity of the king. And since this is true, it means that our earthly status, which we once valued so much, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As those who have been received by God's grace, we must receive others by grace, valuing the small as well as the great. You know, God... 
God didn't look at you and save you because he thought, man, I wonder what this person can provide for me. I wonder what they can give back to me. You know, they're going to complete me in some way. That is not the way God saves us. He saves us in spite of ourselves. And then he fills us with his gracious, loving disposition so that we will love others in spite of themselves. Not because we're hoping to get something back from them, but because we have the honor of being a conduit, a pipeline of the very grace and love of God that we have been received, that we have been saved by. As those who have been received by God's grace, we must receive others by grace, valuing the small as well as the great. That's the why. That's the reason. That's the reason we throw out partiality. So the next time that you're, you're having a hard time bringing yourself to volunteer to teach Sunday school, the next time you're, you're getting impatient with someone because you feel like you've got more important things to do and you, you'd rather not be talking to this person, remember how Christ has received you. Remember you've been received by grace. And pray. Ask Him. Ask Him for the help from His Holy Spirit. You have believed. You have His Holy Spirit so that you will be His ambassadors, that you will treat the small as well as the great as Jesus treated the little ones here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess we have so often been guilty of partiality Lord, thank you for your salvation, which has been given to us, not because of who we are, but in spite of who we are. Lord, we, we pray as those who trust in you that we, we who have received grace would receive others by grace, remembering that it's, it's to the, the small, the weak, the vulnerable those who are like children, who simply trust, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Lord, people like us, people like us, Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.